Well, uh, well, thanks for joining me. Yeah, glad to be um, here. So, to everyone coming in, uh, Jake Mensel is lead pastor at Church of the King in Evansville, Indiana. So, if you're in the area, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, he also helps run Warhorn Media. Yep. Uh, and they have a lot of podcasts uh, and articles on there particularly some about books and movies from a Christian perspective. And I've found a lot of the discussions very helpful. So that's warhornmedia.com. And I wanted to have him on today to talk about the importance of young men being part of a local church. Um, Cause he has a lot of experience. Uh, I think with, as a campus pastor and just dealing with this type of demographic and, and what works and what doesn't, and uh, so thanks for coming on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had to kick it off. I just want to say, want to ask, you know, why? Why is it important for a young man to be part of a local church? Why do we care? Um, that's a great question. I think the way I like to come at this question is through my own story. Um, I grew up in a broken home. And I came to faith right around my senior year of high school. And then I moved away and went off to college. Um, I went to college and I never got plugged into a local church. I got involved in various campus ministries where it was just sort of like uh, that, uh, that bubble, that parachurch bubble of, oh, you're a freshman. So sophomores in college uh, are your Bible study leaders and the men who are going to be discipling you. And it was really just sort of the blind leading the blind, where everybody was dealing with the same things, the same problems, the same stage of life, and nobody had any any real answers. So I went for about three-ish years of college in the early formative stages of being a Christian without any real guidance, any real discipleship, in a completely new place, away from my home, away from... Um, uh, pretty much everything. And it was a really tough time for me spiritually. And I saw my friends crashing and burning, uh, walking away from the faith. Um, so about my senior year of college, um, I moved into a house with another, with a group of Christian guys. Um, and all, pretty much all the guys in that house went to the same church. Um, a church at the time called Church of the Sh- uh, 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 Church of the Good Shepherd, uh, now Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, the main guy in that house was a guy named Bob Kaplowitz, and he was a man in his I don't know at the time fifties or sixties. Um, he was a he had cerebral palsy. He just died last year. Um, and the deal was, you lived with Bob and you cared for Bob, and you got to stay at the house. Um, for room, you got room and board. Um, but they put me on a schedule uh, in that house where I had to take Bob to church, where I had to take him to a Bible study on Wednesday mornings. And uh, so at this point, I'm dating um, a, a girl. I've been dating her for a couple of years. Um, I'm pretty jaded. I'm pretty cynical. I'm sort of on the edge spiritually all together. And um, I show up to this Wednesday morning Bible study with Bob 
and this pastor, this dude in his 50s at the time, I think, um, after Bible study, comes up to me and he says, you know, you carry yourself like a man with a guilty conscience. Do you have a girlfriend? Yeah. Are you being pure with her? No. And then he just started engaging me and shepherding me and caring for me and loving me and discipling me and calling me to repentance. And I started going to that church. Um, it was a church like nothing I had ever experienced before. Yeah, I'd read a lot about what it meant to be a man and what it meant to be a Christian, but I'd never really seen it modeled for me. And there's only so much that you can learn from from reading or from listening to John Piper's sermons or whoever the kids are listening to these days. So much of Christian discipleship is meant to be caught, uh, imitated, because it's uh, about fatherhood. It's about being reconciled to God the Father, and so we need fathers and mothers in the faith who set the pattern for us to follow. And that's what happened. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we got fast-tracked to marriage. We got married. Um, we began spending time with families in that church, um, just husbands and wives who had a biblical understanding of what it meant to be men and women, uh, what it meant to be fathers and husbands and wives and mothers, um, people we could sort of take our cues from, especially me coming from a broken home and never really uh, experiencing much of health, um, which is what I needed. Um, and it was such a, a transformative experience that my early ministry then, uh, the church, I just plugged in, got involved, and the church asked me to start a campus ministry, um, which is where my heart was. I wanted to give that to college students, to the friends that I had had, to myself. You know, nobody was doing that for us. Um, and so... I cut my teeth in ministry then, um, starting a campus ministry based out of the context of a local church, where the whole goal was to just integrate students into the life of the church, where they could be discipled, where they could be uh, loved, cared for, disciplined um, by people older and wiser and more mature who had been there, who had done that, who had varying life experiences, and just came to see that's just that's what the church is. That's what God calls us to. God doesn't call us to a life of, um, you know, some kind of lone ranger, individualized Christian experience. He calls us when he calls us to himself, he calls us into covenant community, into covenant with him and to the family of God. Um, so that, you know, what you see in the book of Acts, when, when, uh, from the day of Pentecost forward is you see God at work calling people to repentance. And then you see the church giving itself to each other um, from the outset. So um, when we're talking about young men and young men in particular, what young men need is a breadth and variety of fathers um, and mothers, but especially fathers um, in the church who can love them, discipline, shape them, care for them, provide an example for them. 
to follow um, at all stages of life. Um, especially if they, even if they grew up in the church and had a good godly Christian father, they're still going to have to process the sins and weaknesses of their fathers, their own sins and weaknesses, and they need help maturing through that process and doing that in a way that honors their, their dad. So no matter where they're coming from, they need the church. It is what God has appointed and set apart for us to grow. Yeah. And so some of the, the specifics you talked about and so your introduction story there, um, someone cared enough to talk to you like a man. Yeah. One. Um, and, and to call you out on, on certain things. Yeah. So that seems like it's one, one thing Yeah, is, is to look out for. Um, and then the, the other big thing is examples and role models that, they could see mm-hmm. in real time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause you have, you know, if you're talking about the kind of people that are, you know, going to be listening to this, the kind of people that are going to find um, your account on Twitter, my account on Twitter, they're going to be the kinds of people that are like, man, I'm just desperate for help figuring out what it means to be a man, what it means to be a leader, what it means to be a father. Um, and it, it, and with that, you know, comes so, uh, you know, a lot of, okay, I've got lists and I've got principles and things that I can read. Um, but it's sort of like, well, it's one thing to, to, to be able to tell people principles. Um, it's, it, it, it's good to do that. It's good to lay those sorts of things out, but that's like telling, especially somebody from a broken home. Um, they, without the examples, the living examples of good men, um, it's sort of like telling people to make bricks without straw. Uh, it's telling people how to make a, or giving people a guide for how to make a brick, but they've never seen a brick before. They haven't seen the house that they're even trying to make. And you have to see it. You have to see it put into practice. You have to have the examples in front of you. Um, to really grow, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. What other, so if someone is looking for something yeah. like this, what, what should they specifically look for? Is it, they go to a church and visit it for a couple of times. Um, what should click for them? What, and not, not in terms of, um, well, this feels right. Right necessarily, but in terms of these are the concrete things that, that I'm going to need to grow. Um, this is what I'm going to need as a young man, that type of thing. What specific things should they be looking out for? Yeah, I think the simplest way to approach this is, uh, is probably just Acts 2. Um, and I know it, this will sound a little simplistic, you know, some people will answer, well, the, the marks of the church. But I think that everything that we're talking about um, in its core is right there in Acts 2 and the four devotions of the early church. So they gave themselves to the preaching of the teaching of the apostles, fellowship, the breaking of bread, bread and, and the prayers. 
And um, there are bigger, broader principles that you need to be looking at, but they apply in all of those four areas and and you want all four areas. So um, when it comes to the preaching and teaching of God's word, you're looking for men who have a fatherly bearing, who are strong leaders, who are not afraid of any part of scripture, who are willing to speak and teach and apply God's word with authority to the congregation to the consciences and the hearts of the people. And that's what you're going to hit up against the very first time you walk into church anyway. You're going to be filtering a lot of things through the preaching and teaching of the word. And one of the main things you want to look for, um, you want to look for strong masculine leadership. You want to look for uh, a man who's not ashamed of God's words and who's willing to take those words and apply them uh, not to the culture out there, not to the people outside the walls of the church, but to the consciences of the hearers. And it doesn't mean that we leave anything off the table. It doesn't mean that we don't speak to cultural issues. But it means that the first and primary focus is the consciences and hearts of the people. Um, So you're looking for that. And you're also looking for fellowship, for community, for a body life where that culture shaped by the word um, is is something that you see uh, lived out in the fellowship, the community life of the people where they have relationships that are real and deep and that are centered on God's word and growth and maturity um, where it's families caring for families and helping each other out where that same application of God's word uh, 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 from the pulpit comes in the conversations that we have with each other in our church. Um, So it's not simply how are you doing or did you watch the Cardinals game last night? That stuff's fine. Um, That's a part of just having real relationships, but it gets beyond that. Um. It's of substance. It has to do with our souls. Our community life is something where we are a part of a family that's striving to be like Jesus. And that means we're going to center our church life, our, our, our lives around our church life, our families around the, the church family, as it's centered around the Word of God. And that's going to trickle down into how we talk to one another, how we speak to one another, uh, how we engage with one another, how we hold each other accountable to God's word. Um, So you're looking for something that's not just uh, superficial, but where it feels like a family. Because the church is the household of God. So it needs to feel like a household that is led by by fathers in the faith. Yeah, And then the third thing on the list is the breaking of bread. And so that part of that's hospitality, but really what we're talking about is the, uh, the Lord's Supper and discipline. Is the word of God brought to bear in such a way that there is the right exercise of church discipline? Are the men who lead the house 
willing to discipline the flock beyond just words from the pulpit, beyond just the encouragement in private, but are they striving to see the whole house grow in maturity to the point that they're willing to do the difficult work? When we talk about church discipline, I know everybody thinks of church discipline in terms of excommunication um, and sort of the, the big picture, you know, formal discipline stuff. Right. But a lot of discipline really comes down to, uh, it, it, it is that, and we need that. Um, but it is everything from going up to a young man who shows up and says, you know, seems to have a bad call. You know, I felt like when uh, that, that was Tim Bailey, by the way, when he called me out, I felt like he had some like kind of prophetic word of God or something <laughs> like that. But the more you grow as a shepherd, loving and caring for people, and the more you're just a father or dad, the more you grow in discernment, the more you just sort of, you read people and you see things and you just have to be willing to say what you see and have yeah. the faith uh, to call people to repentance, to exhort them, to rebuke them, to encourage them as they need it. And you want to be in a place like that. What I felt when that happened was for the first time, I felt maybe not the first time, but it felt like the first time in my life, I felt like God was speaking to me through a man. I felt like I heard the voice of Jesus, the good shepherd, stooping down to me at my point of sin and weakness and rebellion in dealing with me. Yeah, and I that's, think... That's what yeah, if I, had, if I had had someone do that to and, me, for sure... Uh, the fourth thing is the prayers, the corporate prayers of the people, and that's the you know the worship service, the prayer life of the people of God. Um, and there's a lot we could say about that, but are the prayers real? Are they substantive? Do they love the Word of God? Um, is the corporate worship led in a way that conforms to Scripture and is has the savor of, of uh, a manly zeal for the things of God and a, a willingness to carry the burdens and sorrows of the people. Um, in our worship, we confess our sins and we have a pastoral prayer where we carry the, the actual cares and concerns of the people in the pews before God together as a body. And, not every church has to do it that way, but there should be something of that we're in this together and we're for each other and we're not a production and this is not a show, but we're a family striving together towards God and God is our father. What would you call a substantive prayer? So... Those are the things that. All right. Hey, we're Can back. You hear me now? Yeah. Hey, all right. Sweet. <laughs> I had no nice. idea what was happening there. Yeah. So I was, I was talking, I was asking some questions, and you would just keep talking, talking over me. It's like, well, <laughs> this is, 
this is fun. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. Order. That was not what I was. I just like I would come to something, on a, you know, I'd have a pause and expect you to yep. join, and then I was just like, right, I guess I'll keep going. <laughs> yep, I figured that was what was happening. Um, well, okay, so you, you talked about substantive prayer, substantive prayers, right? Yeah. Um, I wanted to dig into that a little bit. What what makes one of those? You know, like, how do you know? Um, so one of the things that I was mentioning when I was just going on a great big sustained monologue talking over <laughs> you <laughs> was uh, <laughs> prayers of confession and prayers of, of and pastoral prayers. Um, and, and I think that that, like I said, not all church has, churches have to do it that way, but you should hear... Um, I want our people in our church to hear in our confessions of sin. I want them to hear themselves. I want them to hear sins that are particular to our body. Tendencies that are, because every family has its own sins, right? Every family has its own tendencies. And, and every church family has its own sins and weaknesses and tendencies. I want our people to hear in the confession of sin. I want them to hear themselves and us appealing to God to help us grow and repent, turn and forgive us for the ways that we have in our inclined to disobey him. So there's that aspect of it. And there's also in our pastoral prayers, there's, we're going to pray for uh, big, big things like elections and things that are happening in our city and the end of uh, abortion, but we're also going to pray for um, the women in our church who are bearing little ones, um, and in the kid who, in the family who just had the premature birth, whose kid's in the hospital, and the family who's not there because uh, they're out of town traveling, or um, you know somebody came down with some kind of sickness. I want that to be a part of our corporate prayer life because we're a family. And so we're coming together for family time. Our, our, our families, our, our individual families should take their cues uh, from the church's body life and not the other way around. We should have family. We should have church centered families, not family centered churches um, because it's all there, right? It's the teaching of, the word, the strong leadership of the father in the home, the fellowship, the community, the table, and prayer. And so that should all feel very personal and very real, like it's part of a family. Um, and, and two, when we do that, we should be taking our cues from scripture. Um, one of the things that we have, we have worked to do is to recover um, praying and singing the Psalms. And a lot of our work at, at Warhorn uh, early on uh, was setting psalms to music uh, through a band called My Soul Among Lions. So, um, and, and then giving that to, to families in our church to pray, because that shapes how we pray. That shapes how we think. Um, you pray things when you pray the psalms that you wouldn't otherwise pray. Especially like the imprecatory Absolutely. Psalms, for example. Absolutely. You would never 
uh, in modern evangelicalism, you would never pray the imprecatory psalms or understand why they're there. There are all kinds of things like that. Uh, a, a, a lamentation. You know, how many, how many good laments do you know in the modern praise and worship scene? The David's full of them. Um, and we need all of that to shape how we think about God, how we think about the world, how we think about our enemies. Um, it's all immensely important. Yeah, so the, the, church, the church you're looking for should be like a household, mm-hmm. which is not just a metaphor. It goes, it is a metaphor, but also it's grounded in reality of reality of how a household works. That's right. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's one thing, you know, when we talk about the, uh, you know, a lot of churches, you know, they'll do like a spiritual disciplines class or something like that, but they'll, they'll do it in a way that cuts out the actual discipline of the church, the disciplines of the church. When we see the church growing in the book of Acts, we see people orienting their lives around those four devotions first, and everything moves out from that. That's the way we need to be thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And you have members that spend time with one another outside of the four walls. Absolutely. Wherever you meet on Sunday. Absolutely. And if that happens and if that's real, if part of the DNA, then it's felt on Sundays. You can feel that when you Mm -hmm. walk in the doors of the church. These are people that live together, right? They, they do as Bonhoeffer said, life together. Um, Makes sense. So what, what about some warning signs? Um, now, we don't want to let the qualifier for this. We don't want to let, like, the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah. And there are some, there are some things that are less important than others. But what are some specific warning signs that would just be a huge red flag? Uh, yeah. The, I mean, every church is going to have its weaknesses in one of these four areas. And depending on where you're at, you know, in the country – Maybe some big weaknesses. Part of what we have to remember as we consider this, and we're talking about what we're hoping for, what we're looking for, uh, we have to remember that the church at Corinth was still a church. And that's something that I think can't be emphasized enough with people. I mean, you look at the church in Corinth and the mess that it was in, where you have a man sleeping with his father's wife and nobody's doing anything about it, and they're proud of themselves. That's a mess. That church was a church. So with that caveat, um, I think the flip side, you know, a church where you can go um, sit under a sermon and never, ever feel like the preacher is speaking to you or dealing with you. Never, ever feel like you are being called to repent of any of your sins. Never, ever feeling like the finger has been pointed at you and you're the man. That's a huge red flag. Uh, A pastor who's ashamed of any part of God's word is a big red flag. And, And one of the things, one of the biggest tells 
um, that I hear and see over and over again with that sort of thing is when, when the pastor begins to apologize for God's word and say, this isn't me, but this is what God says. So, you know, I kind of sort of have to say it. That's when you run. And it does not matter what it is. You know, I, if the, when the pastor begins to posture himself as being more sophisticated or more compassionate or more gracious than God, then he's a poser and so run. Yeah. Um, I've had one preacher when talking about child discipline going through some of the Proverbs and spanking all that stuff basically say from the pulpit you know i i wish this wasn't in here right but it is so <laughs> uh, i was like well, my my okay. dude you just told me that you believe the word of god is bad that's what yeah. you just said you stood up in the place of god to speak god's word and you just said i think this is bad but here it is hmm. That's what you actually said. Yeah. That's what you communicated. And that's a lot of pastors do it and it's evil. Um, and it's not, there's not really a softer way to put it. That's just what it is. It's setting yourself above God and above God's word while being under the word charged by God to preach it, to have faith for it, to believe it. If you don't believe and see the goodness of it, then you don't believe it. Um, the, a, a church that goes out of its way uh, to avoid any kind of real community where everything feels sort of anonymous and superficial, massive red flag, um, run. A church where uh, there's no discipline or regular celebration of the Lord's Supper where that can be proven or shown where the lines can be drawn between the church and the world. It's a red flag. Um, a church that gives over uh, its, its leadership to women or effeminate men. It's a red flag. It's run. That's run. We're called to... Now, how do you... you know, when you say effeminate men, are you talking mainly in manner and dress or some other other thing that you can tell? Effeminacy is one of those things that I think uh, we've, we've sort of been, you know, spending the last 10 years trying to articulate how do you define it, how do you pin it down, Um. And I, and I think it's all of the above. I, th I think you know it when you see it. Um, so there's, there's, there is an effeminate affect that we all recognize in terms of how men, uh, how somebody carries himself, how they speak. Um, but there's also a sort of macho posturing that's gross too, right? So... Um, you have to be wise about these things. It's hard to, I find it very hard to put a principle, you know, to lay down a, a, a law. Maybe you have uh, more clarity on that than I do. But, um, 
it's easy to tell if it's a woman pastor. Well, yeah, that's that's right. I'm, I'm just it's like, but it's yeah, but the effeminacy part is a little bit like I, I would say the the apologizing for the word of God. Would effeminacy, absolutely. It, it probably falls under that category. Yeah, well, and, but, yeah. and also a type of preaching, uh, rather than speaking authoritatively and simply indirectly, uh, manipulation, manipulative preaching, um, the, the, there's a way to speak uh, uh, about the, uh, the judgment of God that's clear and clean. And as a way to be uh, manipulative about those sorts of things that use, um, and the, line, the lines can get a little gray when it comes to using guilt and shame. Uh, shame is a good thing. Guilt is real. Condemnation is real. Uh, there's a way to use guilt, shame, and condemnation in a manipulative uh, sort of cloying way to, to control a situation or people that's simply not clear, not direct. Um, and if I had better words today, I would be better at articulating exactly what I meant by that. Um, <laughs> but I think that you, 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 you know where you stand with a man who's leading. You, you, He's going to speak directly. He's going to speak directly. He's going to lay things out, and it's going to be simple. And when you look at the preaching of Jesus, he's clear, he's simple, he's direct. Peter at Pentecost, clear, simple, direct. This Jesus whom you crucified, God raised him from the dead. What must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. Right. Uh Clear, simple, straightforward. And that's what you want to see. Um the hard edges are all there, but there's dignity and there's gravity, but there's also a warmness and a benevolence a, uh, because God is good. And, and grace is, is the trumpet that we're sounding. Um, the wrath of God is real, and today is a day of salvation. And so there's grace for all of those who repent. And in Christ, there is no condemnation but you must be in Christ. And when we, we, when we apply that, we apply it to every part of our lives. All of it. Nothing's off limits. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, I think one, one sign that's, that I uncovered when, my wife and I had moved to the city we're in now. We, for the first year, we went to this mega church, big mega church in town. And um, at one point, we walked in and they were handing out papers for uh, new elders. Yeah. Like to vote on the new elders. And my mom was visiting with us. Yeah. And they gave her a paper. And I'm just looking at this paper, and it's like I don't know any of these. Yeah, yeah. I, I guarantee, I guarantee you, they, they don't know my yep. name. And that that was sort of a big, a big wake up call for us. But yeah, you want to be able to know the men who are leading your church. You want to know that they know the people, that they know you. You want there to be accountability and transparency in how the church is led. 
you want to be able to see and understand, you know, how it all works. If there's a problem, who do I talk to? If there's a conflict, who do I talk to? Will these people know me and will they care? And if I see a problem, you know, with somebody in leadership, with one of the elders or pastors, is there a way for that man to be held accountable? Um, all of those things are things that you really want to see in a church. Um, you know, that's why, um, you know, that's why I'm Presbyterian. I believe in accountability both on the local level and accountability between churches. Um, where you see, you know, the Church of Jerusalem appeals to, the, or the Church of Antioch appeals to the Church of Jerusalem, you know, for uh, clarity in a dispute. Um, I believe it's good to formalize that sort of thing. The church at Jerusalem sends letters vouching for Paul and Barnabas to the churches, and that's received because there's uh, there's a, a formalized acknowledgement between churches um, and an accountability there. We can trust Paul and Barnabas because he's vouched for by men set apart by God in this church that we know and trust. Um, and, you know, not every church has that. Not every community you go to will have a church that has that level of accountability, but you want men who want accountability and who are willing to be open in how they lead. You know, I've, having been a college pastor and sent people out into all kinds of different communities, especially rural or smaller communities, you, you know, sometimes the best place where you're looking with them for where should they go to church is some small independent fundamentalist Baptist dispensationalist church where they take God's word seriously or seem to, and you're not going to have that, but you will have men who, who love the word and uh, Lord willing are open and clear and love and shepherd the flock. Yeah, love covers a multitude of other sins. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Well, thank you for, any, for coming on and the time you took today. Um, is there any other final thoughts? Any questions from anyone who's uh, listening right now? My final thoughts are I wish I had, I didn't have my phone in my pocket for the whole time I was. <laughs> talking over you probably would have had a much better discussion than if I had just kept going on and on <laughs> I'm glad we got it figured yep. out yeah it was my first space my, I hosted so there's bound to be something completely bonkers about it so. my first one that I've been uh, one of the main speakers on <laughs> so lessons learned yep I was I had my headphones in and I was pacing around and I should have just known better. <laughs> Y'all should ask some questions if you got the time, you're still there. Or have some thoughts. You have some feedback. Yeah. If not, I'll this was recorded, I'll uh I'll download it and hopefully I'll just edit out some of our <laughs> awkwardness. <laughs> And I'll get it posted somewhere. Sounds good. For anyone who wants to listen afterward. Um, 
But thanks, everyone. Thank you, Jake. And yep. uh, have a good day. Hey, take care.